In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given his only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Glory be to God on high and on
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity. And that we may obtain what you have promised, make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The first lesson for the 13th Sunday after Trinity is written in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 28. The Israelites took captive from their kinsmen 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he, met, he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. He said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow countrymen you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders in Ephraim, Azariah son of Jehohanan, Berechiah son of Meshillamoth, Jehezkiah son of Shalom, and Amasa son of Hadlai, confronted those who were arriving from the war. You must not bring those prisoners here, they said, or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, healing and balm. All those who were weak, they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow countrymen at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The second lesson is written in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I cry out day and night before you. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory be to you. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and water. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you.
Grace and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. The Good Samaritan is unmistakably good. You can't listen to Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan without being clearly and completely convinced that the one who had mercy on the man in need, who went out of his way to help, to rescue, to save the life of the man, the stranger in his time of need, that this man is good. And that this kind of behavior is to be emulated. It's not only good, but a beautiful description of selfless generosity, of caring compassion. And we, as Christians, recognize the goodness and the beauty as a depiction, a wonderful depiction of no one else in this world but Jesus only. He is the only man we know, have ever heard of, who loves like this. But then the gospel ends. And we find ourselves on the side of our own road, beaten up and left for dead. For this beautiful description of what is good and beautiful comes with a word of instruction for us, a word of the law, a command that says, go and do likewise. And suddenly, what is good comes crushing down on us like a weight that we cannot lift. Because we cannot love like Jesus. It's impossible, we say. When we hear the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we hear this wonderful des description of what is definitely good, his actions, our mind immediately goes, when we hear, go and do likewise, our mind immediately goes to everyone that we've ever seen on the side of the road and have not helped. Stranded motorist, hitchhiker, panhandler, and we say we, we did not help them or we could not help them, be, well, because we can't help everyone. I mean, how could we? If we did what the Good Samaritan did, if we tried to help everyone, gave everyone what they asked for, we would have nothing left, we say. And because if we did that, we're not even sure if we would actually be helping them we could be only enabling them, helping them to continue some very bad behavior or actually causing them harm. We need to back up. So just like last Sunday, we, we've heard this story so many times that we hear it with some assumptions. We hear about the priest and the Levite, the priest and the Levite who walk by, in our estimation, we know, are smug, self-righteous jerks who can't be bothered to help anyone else. 
and the Samaritan, we've called him good so many times that it bothers us none. It gives us no hesitation to use the word good and Samaritan in the same sentence. So back up and understand that there was something behind the Jews' hatred of the Samaritans. They had a history. You heard part of it in the Old Testament reading from today. When from the the separated, the divided kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah fought against each other, wars against each other, killing their own kinsmen, taking them as prisoners, as captives. And then later on in their history, the the northern kingdom of Israel was was so wicked that God allowed a foreign nation, the nation of Assyria, to overtake them and import other foreigners into their land with whom they lived and intermarried. In the mind of the Jews, the Samaritans were not good. And they weren't wrong. The The man, though, who fell among the robbers was not one of them. He was not a Samaritan. He was a man who had come from Jerusalem, probably came from the temple. He was coming home from church. The priest and the Levite, too, were the kind of people who everyone would probably expect, we would expect, to be kind, helpful, and compassionate. We've heard the story so many times, so we think they're jerks. But everyone then and there would have called them good. And think about it, they didn't, they didn't rob the man, the priest and the Levite. They didn't kick him into the ditch or run him over. And I think, if I were to guess, these men, the priest and the Levite, actually felt very guilty about what they did. They knew what they should have done, and didn't do it. What did they do? It tells us that they saw him and passed him by, and this is important, on the other side. Surely, even in the moment, they must have rationalized it. They said, "If, if I help him, if I stop, there could be robbers still in the area. I might be in danger. Or they might have thought, if I help them, then I have to help everyone along the road, and then I'll never get anywhere. But instead, and I imagine this was much easier for them to do this, to walk by from the other side of the road, where he didn't have to make eye contact, where he didn't have to see the man's wounds up close, Pretend like he couldn't hear. In other words, he purposefully put extra distance, both of the men, put extra distance between him and the man to make it easier to justify walking by. He knew that he was to love his neighbor. We all know that. Did you know that the the nay, nigh, in neighbor means near? But if you can distance yourself, you can distance yourself from that person, then they're not quite as near to you and not quite as a neighbor. You can say, not my neighbor, because he's way over there on the other side of the road where I used to be walking. 
I think you've discovered this too, haven't you? We know that we are to love our neighbor. And we know generally what it means to be loving to them in words and in deeds. But we also know that it is much easier to be unloving to those who are absent, out of sight, out of earshot. Perhaps it explains why we will not say something to someone's face, but if we just cross over on the other side where they can't hear, not only pass them by and not help them, but we can then out of sight, out of earshot, shred their reputation, and with the dagger of my tongue, harm them greatly. And it doesn't bother us nearly so much. Or perhaps you found that it's, it is a great deal easier to say harmful things from the distance of a device through a, a, a text, a message, with the anonymity of the internet or an anonymous feedback survey, when you can say something that isn't going to, they're not going to see who says it because you've put distance, digital distance between you. For you know that if you stayed on the side of the road and you engaged personally with someone face to face, you and they would know that you are being unloving and are contributing to their hurt. But instead you cross over out of earshot, behind the back, and you can walk on by. Well, I can't help everyone, we say. And that's true. The message of Jesus' parable is not that everyone is your neighbor, but some are. Your vocations put you near people. In family, in work, in community, in church, and they are in need of love and care. And we wrong them greatly. We hurt them when we separate ourselves, when we put distance, even a digital distance, hiding our faces behind a screen, putting a distance between us to make it easier for us not to help, not to do what we have been called to do for them, instead to harm them and make it easier because we're now further away, allowing us, at least in our mind, to say, and who is my neighbor? So, you see that the law of God has this way of robbing everything that we had everything that we thought we had, every pretense of piety, every excuse, truly it beats us up and it leaves us for dead. A Samaritan is the very last person that a, for whom, from whom a Jew would ever expect to receive help. I don't really know exactly what business a Samaritan had doing on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was quite out of his way. Who would have expected it? Who would have expected that the one who beat us up, that the God who gave us his impossible law of love, 
that the God who threatens his punishment, his wrath, punishment of death upon all who transgress his law, would also come to our rescue. In the Old Testament, that prophet Oded had to remind the Samaritans that the men and the women of Judah and Jerusalem were their countrymen, their relatives, not their enemies. The good Samaritan doesn't have to be reminded. He came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had pity on him. He bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he put him on his donkey, he took him to an inn and took care of him, he pays for all of his treatment in advance, and then goes away promising to return, and when he does pay any extra expense. Your Jesus, true God, made himself to be your brother, your countryman, and has traveled along our road. He sees you in your need, in your impossible and deadly condition, but did not, does not turn away. Instead, he walks straight in, nearer and nearer to you, even into danger, even into death, at great expense to himself, sheds his own blood that heals your wounds. And everything that is needed to heal you, to care for you, he has provided. He's given a place for healing. He's provided balm, medicine. And though he goes away, he has left behind a means and a ministry to care for you until he returns. And he will return. And anything that has been expensed, expended for you, for those whom he cares for, will be provided and reimbursed. It is impossible for us. We are unable to keep the law, unable to love God with all your heart, unable to love our neighbor as yourself, unable to love as Jesus loves. But Jesus is able. And Jesus does love in such a way. And upon you, O Christian, the image of Christ, the good one, the loving one, has been imprinted upon you. His love has been poured into you. He has formed you and shaped you. It has forgiven your lovelessness entirely. It has healed you and saved you. So may you be filled with such love, such forgiveness, such life and healing as you go and do likewise. Amen. Please stand. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join in confessing the Christian faith using the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For grace to proclaim the triumph of the cross throughout the world, the victory of the love which hate could not destroy and that life which death could not overcome, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this congregation, that we may grow in our knowledge of the Lord and our love of his commandments, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for all catechumens and those inquiring into the faith, that he who has begun his good work in them would bring it to completion on the day of the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for all the baptized, that we who have received the love of Jesus, our good Samaritan, may reach out in love and compassion to others. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for the nations that war, hate, and bloodshed may be overcome by peace, justice, and mercy. And for all who serve in our armed forces, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those in need of our intercessions, that commended into our Father's hands, God would lead them out of all their troubles. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who having created all things, took on human flesh and was born of the Virgin Mary. For our sake, he died on the cross and rose from the dead to put an end to death, thus fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name and join their glorious song. Almighty and most merciful Father, send down upon us the grace of your Holy Spirit, and through your holy word, be pleased to bless and sanctify these your gifts of bread and wine, that they may be the body and the blood of your most dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, 
which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, O Lord, according to his institution, we, your servants, celebrate here before your divine majesty. With these, your holy gifts, the commemoration your Son has willed us to make, remembering his blessed passion, mighty resurrection, and glorious ascension, we give you most hearty thanks for the innumerable benefits he has secured for us. And we humbly ask you to grant that by his merits and death and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of sins and all other benefits of his passion. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. We give thanks, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us with this Holy Supper. We pray that through it you will strengthen our faith in you and increase our love for one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Just a reminder, next week we begin our fall schedule. Uh, so at beginning at 9 o'clock will be Bible class and Sunday school. Uh, in Bible class we'll be studying a new section of our, our church history. We're going through the early church years, 250 to 500. I think you'll find a lot of interesting things from that long time ago that are still useful for us today. Um, and then divine service at 1015. And after that, we'll have a, a, our church picnic. So again, if you haven't done so already, you can uh, indicate how many burgers or hot dogs that your family will eat either on the sign-up sheet in the entryway or using the link in the bulletin email. Thank you. <laughs>